This episode of The Hour on the Renewal Ministries Podcast Network is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, 40 years of Catholic renewal and evangelization around the world. You can find out more about Renewal Ministries if you go to renewalministries.net, renewalministries.net. Sign up for the free newsletter, for the emails. Uh, there's lots of other free resources. I want to highlight uh, Dr. Ralph Martin. He is the founder of Renewal Ministries. He has a podcast now called Right Now with Ralph Martin. It's doing pretty well. You should check it out. It's You can find it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Today on The Hour, I have Father Simon Lobo, who is a priest of the Companions of the Cross, ordained in 2009. I met Father Simon when he was the campus minister at Wayne State University in Detroit, where he was a part of helping hundreds of students, literally hundreds of students, come to faith. He is now the pastor at St. Benedict Parish in Halifax. We talk about preaching, flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit, three-step dynamic of evangelization, some stories with his students, what he saw happening, and just, uh, yeah, we talk about the Lord. He loves Jesus and is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I close the pod with a little snippet from a teaching I gave for the current participants in the Spirit-Filled Leader Intensive course brought to you by ID. If you'd like more information about that course, you can go to spiritfilledleadership.com. Basically, I give my favorite definition of leadership. That's at the end. So stay tuned. But of course, before we get to Father Simon, my friend, Connor Flanagan. All right, so we're going to just dive right back into it. So, um, all right, so when you when you have an opportunity to preach, I love what you said, uh, the, that moment at the ID summit, uh, there was a freedom, you said, and then you were preaching right out of the word. How do you maintain the freedom when you're preaching on such a regular basis, even daily with daily mass? Uh, certainly Sunday mass, maybe in a heightened way when you, you know you have a, mm-hmm. a larger congregation. But what does it look like for you to try to maintain a certain freedom in the Lord that I'm going to be receiving a word and I'm going to deliver it to my people, but that I'm also bound in a in a healthy way to the scripture as the source for my preaching. Does that does that make sense what I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean there's uh there's one thing that I find the hardest time I find to preach is to get up on Sunday. Uh hmm. to my congregation, I'm a pastor, right? And so uh cuz you're preaching to the same group of people uh either week in week out for me it's it's about every other week. Uh, I'm trading off with my associate who's an amazing preacher. Father Alex Kaladi, uh, also a companion of the cross, oh, yeah. and yep. so, so uh, you know, I think, I think you know, parish priests they have it the toughest. Like conference speakers, they get to come up with one, you know, really solid message, and then just go everywhere and deliver the same message. I mean, no offense to, to, uh, to those those people who might be listening, but but uh, there's something about um, just preaching to the same congregation and and going. Going back to the Lord for for more. I know Father Mark Goring, one of my brothers, he would talk about uh, begging the Lord, like, Lord, you got to give me bread. You got to give me bread so I can feed your people here. And just that that passion with which he approaches it. Um, and I think for myself, um, with Sunday, there's there's a certain degree of intentionality and preparation that exists beyond anything else. And I mean, we can get into it if you want to have a whole process for Sundays. 
Um, but and it really involves working with a team. So it's not I'm not alone, uh, which which is for the first time ever in my priesthood. I'm I'm preaching. It's like so many places preaching is a solo sport, and yet I think it's one of the things that matters the most in the church. I mean, uh, not taking anything away from from uh, the sacred species of the body and blood of Christ. Uh, that's all part of the the overall experience of the Eucharist, but preaching is so essential, and I think it's been underdeveloped and, and underrated, and we've just kind of tolerated mediocre preaching in in so many quarters of the church for, for a long time. Yeah, let's, let's dive into that a little bit, because there's that great passage from Paul where he says, I can't remember exactly where it is, but he says, you know, how can somebody believe unless they hear, and how can somebody hear unless somebody preaches it, and how can somebody preach it unless they've been sent? In a particular way, the, the priest, the priesthood, has a a unique role in the proclamation of the word, not just in the the reading of the scriptures at mass, but then helping the people engage those readings, apply those readings, and be transformed by the word. And I think one of the th- things we run into is that in an effort to properly emphasize the Eucharist in the liturgy of the Eucharist in mass, we for whatever reason almost downgrade the liturgy of the word, which is also supposed to feed and transform people. We're supposed to feed both on the word and on the Eucharist. Where do you think that mentality comes from? Is it is it a lack of skill? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it a lack of faith? Why do you think it is that that in most circles, Catholics can kind of quickly understand why the Eucharist is important as a component of the the liturgy, but the liturgy of the word tends to kind of take a back seat to the whole thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably a lot of reasons. One is is actually the very good and holy reason that uh, the the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. I know, I know you love Jesus, and I do, and the sacred gift of Himself that He's giving to us is amazing, and so appropriately so, we should hold Jesus uh, through the sacrament in the highest regard. Um, that's that's one thing, and and uh, you know many other Christians of other denominations might not uh, have that, or 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 might not have any sense of that whatsoever. So so that's sure. one thing where we can emphasize. And I think another area is, you know, the the only people who can preach within the context of liturgy in the Catholic Church are ordained ministers, deacons, priests, bishops, and. And it's weird. Like I've often wondered, like Lord, uh, why why don't you call more men who have a natural gifting, uh, as well as a charism mm-hmm. for preaching into uh, ministry? Maybe maybe he is calling people, and and they're not hearing the call, or 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 they're free to you know to to not respond. Uh, so so that's a question, right? Because there's again other contexts, so many other contexts where. Um, non-priests i've even heard like uh, uh, yeah amazing laymen amazing lay women who can who can preach like they can really bring it uh just beautifully with with a fire with with just a great way of connecting with the heart of of the listener and yet within mass and i'm i'm not saying this is wrong but i'm just identifying as an observation there's a limited like at my church of you know before covid we would see 1500 through the doors uh, there's three people who are allowed to preach, two priests and a deacon. That's it. 
Uh, so, so we're limited in that sense. And if, and if you're not blessed already with some natural gifting, you know, grace builds on nature, right? And so some natural ability to communicate in addition to uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and uh, a passion to, to work on it, to develop it. Like, and I, if, if anything, like I've continued to grow and learn and, and being around really like, like attracts like. And so being around really awesome communicators I think it raises the bar. So I don't know if the listeners would be familiar with my community, the Companions of the Cross, but, uh, you know, longtime friends of Renewal Ministries and our founder, Father Bob, would have been a, a good friend of, of Ralph and Peter Herbeck and back in the day. And, and so there was, there was already, I would say, like there's a lot of companions who are, who are good communicators. And so when you grow up in that environment, and Father Bob himself was, was masterful, um, you, uh, that, that becomes the standard. And so if people, people don't know what they don't know, if they've never heard good preaching, then they don't, they don't know what, what's possible, let alone what to aspire towards. Um, and then there's the, then there's the whole, like, you know, a healthy competition to push each other <laughs> to be great, you know? And, yeah, sure. And I think being around guys who are amazing, uh, communicators, it, it pushes me in a holy way, like not to, not to sit back on my laurels and, and just kind of coast. Right. But like every Sunday matters. Every Sunday I want to get up and give the best possible homily that I can give with, with the Lord's help. And I think what you're, what you're bearing witness to is a, a beautiful combination of the very human desire for excellence like if we're going to be given an opportunity to to speak to our people then I want to do it well just just because it, it's the right thing to do to bring the right attention to it but Amen. but marrying that with genuine god-given faith and zeal that it actually matters not only what I communicate but how I communicate it in in not all, not all every priest is going to be Fulton Sheen, you know, and not every priest is going to be Bishop Scott McKegg or Father Simon Lobo or Father Mark Goring or whatever. It just so happens that many of the the best preachers I know happen to be in the Companions of the Cross. Uh, there is a certain <laughs> charism within your community for that. But what's interesting is, um, but what characterizes the Companions when they preach is not just technical skill of weaving words together and story and humor and all that. But a a real zeal, a real faith that what I'm doing right now has an eternal consequence, and I think that's one of the things that the the laity are longing for. Is we're not looking necessarily for golden tongues everywhere, but we're looking for for men who are interpreting the scriptures in light of I believe this, and I, I think and I really believe it matters whether or not you believe this. Um, would you agree with that? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, we have to we have to come to the place of realizing that our preaching matters. Like it and it and it's um I love how you put that, Pete. Like it has eternal consequences when when and that's why I can't I just can't get up on a Sunday uh you know, barring an emergency or something and not sure. but not having time to prepare, but I just can't get up and wing it because it's like there's souls in front of me who are coming with the expectation that Father Simon is going to bring it, and there's and 
there's there's something that that that's gonna bless them and maybe challenge them or help them grow, uh, respond in some way. And yeah, soul, souls are in the balance. Like we've we've gotta we've gotta see that. And you know, as we're talking, there's been so many people who have inspired me and influenced my preaching. But I remember this this one week as companions, we would gather together and once a year, and it was a week where we had Deacon Alex Jones. He came to to bless us. Sure. I think yeah. he's from. Is he from Detroit? Uh, I believe he. I, I know he lived in Detroit for a while. I don't know where he's from, but I that I, I think he might yeah, be. Yeah. So he's just a beautiful man and an amazing convert, right? From I think the Pentecostalism and, anyways, a fiery preacher. And so Deacon Alex was he was tell, teaching us about preaching, and one of the things he said was, "You gotta possess the message. Like you gotta possess the message." And and I was that's always stayed with me this idea that uh whatever it is i'm gonna say i gotta get it in to me <laughs> inside uh inside my bones first and then it's like jeremiah 20 where where he talks about you know then within me there's something like a raging fire that's burning within my bones and i grow weary of holding in it in and so like there's this prophet who finally he's like it's so inside of him he can't help but release it uh and so i think uh, that notion that's something that i don't think everybody and certainly i'll speak for myself if i'm you know preparing a manuscript for a homily or something i could just get up and and read what's on the manuscript and hopefully it has a logical flow you know an introduction uh some some nuggets and a conclusion and whatever but there's a difference between when i've had the time to repair and and really internalize the message mm-hmm. i'm not just talking about memorization although thanks to father alex he's really challenged me in the last couple of years where i've i've stepped away from the ambo and i'm trying to preach without notes for the most part and that was a huge a huge shift for like about 10 years of my priesthood i was i was you know reading reading from a text not not reading but preaching from a text and but that that act of faith to say no i got to get this message inside of me so that it will come out from the depths yeah and that's been a shift an evolution even in my own preaching and that that's a great word for even those of us who aren't going to be preaching in that way as as lay people to possess the message so that our everyday preaching with the people in our lives reflects the same thing. We have no ch- chance of, of sharing the gospel with somebody in a compelling way if it is if it is some sort of memorized script or some sort of pamphlet that I refer to to try to convince somebody that the gospel is real for me. It, it does have to be something that so kind of comes up from within this burning fire, this prophetic sense that this is what God has, has done in me and therefore wants to do in you. Do you, do you have a... Do you have a time or a season or a moment where you felt like the Lord kind of put that spirit of Jeremiah in you in a particular way? Like, was it before you're, you were ordained, after you were ordained, three years in? Do you have a sense of kind of when the Lord built that fire even even stronger? That's a great question. I've never reflected on it before, Pete. I do remember um, this one retreat that I was involved with probably just months before my diaconate ordination. 
And I was there, again, I've mentioned him already, but Father Mark Goring, uh, who's, who's, I think, one of, one of the great preachers and the companions, and I've, I really looked to him as an example. And, and I remember we were doing this Life in the Spirit seminar, so we were with some youth at, at some, some camp somewhere, somewhere out of town, and, and uh, as we were going around praying over people that they'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and even receive gifts— uh, we had prayed over everybody and, and they turned to me and they're like, Hey, Simon, do you want, do you want to receive anything? And I was like, I was like, I was thinking about my upcoming ordination and I, and I was, you know, kind of nervous and feeling inadequate. I, you know, my goal before being ordained a uh, priest was to, or even a deacon was to have everything done, you know, like I'm going to just do it all. I'll, I'll read the whole, the whole Bible, the whole catechism. I'll read every church document that was ever written. I'll, um, <laughs> I'll just, you know, just kind of have it all figured out. I'll have every answer. And, and uh, so then, then I'll be ready, right? <laughs> Thinking that somehow, like, once I was ordained a priest, that they, I would, I would enter the final stage of my life, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'll right. Of, you know, there's, <laughs> there's infancy, there's, there's childhood, adolescence, uh, young adulthood. And then for me, seminary and, and ordination. And then it's like, Smooth sailing for and the next death. Yeah. <laughs> 70 years. <laughs> but but actually, it's like it's been an ongoing learning. And But that day, I was feeling the weight of being unprepared and inadequate for ordination. And, and I just asked for two things. I said, I'm going to pray for the charism of celibacy, was one, and the charism of uh, evangelization. And so those two things I asked for, and and yeah, I mean, I believe in faith that the Lord, He hears, He hears us when we ask. And, and I don't know if that was that was a moment specifically with preaching, Pete, but that that's a moment that stands out for sure. We, as a pastor, and you said it's so funny how you said this, where I hadn't really thought about it before, but like, yeah, one of the challenges of being a pastor is preaching to the same group of people every week, you know, and that that would come with even like what stories you tell or examples you give. It's like, wait, have I told that story before? Have I not told that story before? You know, yeah, like exactly. you, don't want to, you don't want to be too repetitive. Um, but I would imagine that, well, or maybe, maybe could you speak to the impact of the, the flip side of that? The, the challenge of that is I have to I kind of have to receive a new word from the Lord and I have to be, the Lord's calling me to be fresh and, and clear and um, creative with this group of people. The flip side of that, I would imagine, though, is to be able to see the unfolding of the impact of a consistent message and how you can really build on certain themes and help and help move a group of people from wherever they are to a new place. You're part of St. Benedict's. You're the pastor of St. Benedict's, but you're also you were also the associate before you got there. And St. Benedict's of worldwide renown for because of divine renovation. I want to get into some of that sort of thing, but sticking just with the preaching for one more minute. Sure. Yeah. What has it looked like? What has been the fruit of being yeah. able to consistently lead a group of people from from the pulpit like that? Right. Well, one of the things, and I alluded to it earlier, but we're so blessed because we have a team approach to preaching prep. So, um, you know, for me, in addition to obviously celebrating the mass with reverence and, you know, as they say, read the black, do the red, like what's in the, what's in the missile. Uh, but, but some of the other 
they're more than just accidental, but they're things that bring the atmosphere for a powerful prayer experience at the Mass, I think, involve hospitality beforehand, uh, the hymns, uh, the music itself, and then the homilies, the preaching. So hospitality, hymns, homilies are three H's we, we talk about. But yeah. the, the, the homilies, like for me, uh, we work together uh, on, our, on our messages, which involves uh, some like long-range planning. So we'll even, we'll even have, a, have a, a meeting where we'll sit down and, and look at the next few months and say, okay, here's, here's the upcoming readings in the lectionary because we, we always want to be faithful to preaching right out of the lectionary. We're, we, we, the church has given us these texts, and so even though I might want to preach on some other topic, it's like, no, this is, this is the primary place that I go for, to be fed and, and, and from which to preach. And, and we might find a, an arc uh, and develop a preaching series. So, so for example, in Lent, uh, this year we uh, developed this preaching series. It's called Worth It. And it's, uh, it's all about the cost of discipleship. So it's like, hmm. you know, following Jesus comes at a cost, but in the end, it's worth it. And so that's kind of the tagline. And, and over these, every Sunday of Lent, we're in the same preaching series. So whether it's myself or Father Alex or, or Deacon David, our deacon, um, we're, we're preaching within that theme. And whatever we're drawing out from the scriptures, uh, it's, it's along that theme of discipleship and, and really calling forth like, hey, this is part of the cost of being a disciple. And, uh, you know, as a simple example, so the first Sunday of, of Lent I was preaching and it was, it was, uh, it was about Jesus, his temptations in the desert. And I, and I actually gave a homily on the spiritual battle and, and it was probably the most in-depth kind of homily on, on the spiritual battle that I think I've given at least at a Sunday mass. Uh, but and just that, yeah, as disciples of Jesus, we should expect this. This is normal. And and even though there is a battle, like like it, it's absolutely worth it. And anyways, got into a few practicals. And then and then the next week there was a different theme, uh, but but tied into this same arc, if you will. And so I think part of the the gift of that is we're getting together on a weekly basis, a couple times a week as a preaching team. And we're brainstorming ideas the individual who's actually preaching is going away to do some work, to pray, to really sit with, with, with the scripture, to look up some commentaries and just make sure that we're being really faithful to a, a proper interpretation and then forming uh, an outline. And, and, and then we kind of rehearse together as well. And, and we're giving one another feedback all the time. And so uh, one of the things that's, that's so good is because, because I've got, a finite number of stories that I can go to, right? Yes, yes, yeah, after, right, right? After you've heard me preach for, for you know, a year, it's like, well, it's basically, yeah, just recycle, you know, yeah. rinse and repeat, you yeah. know, it's the yeah. Same, yeah. same stuff. And so to have others speaking into me and saying, uh, you know, actually, here's like a really awesome uh, story that I thought of, or here's here's the story of a saint that that could really be a great way to end your homily to to give an inspiration or here's or remember that time that this happened and this could be like a really awesome illustration for uh for getting into uh the top the theme of of the of the day or something and so we're working together we're we're giving each other feedback and it's it's actually for me 
it's feedback is one of the most painful <laughs> and humiliating experiences. And I've, I used to hate it so much and I've, I've come to really love it because it's, I realize the guy is Father Alex, Deacon David, and we have a seminarian with us, a companion named Isaac. Uh, they're, they all love me and they all want the, the word to be the best it can be again for the sake of the people yeah, and, and to glorify God. And so when they're giving feedback, it's not, it's not, um, to, to be unnecessarily critical, but it's to make it better. And so, so we're, we're, um, refining and working together every single Sunday in preparation for every single Sunday, we're having multiple meetings to, to, to pr- help prepare the message. What was your question again? I don't know if I'm even answering. No, that, that, that was perfect. That, I was just like how, how the day or the weekly engagement with the same audience allows you to kind of take some, the, the, the congregation on a journey. So was, instead of being this, this challenge of, Oh, I got to come up with something new. It's like, no, I have an opportunity here to really walk with people through some yeah. thematic things that allow them to actually take steps deeper in the Lord. And I think one of the things I've found with, with all the companions preaching and in yours is no exception is when you guys preach, you carry with what, what comes through is not just a, an assault on your mind or even an assault on your heart, but a, a real challenge to the will. Like, what are you going to do about this? You know, whenever I've heard Bishop Scott or Father Mark or your, you as well, there's always either explicitly or implicitly implied, like, I'm, I'm preaching truth in love to you. Now, what's your response? Yeah. And I, and you know, exactly. Yeah. Your your assistant sent me your your bio, and in it, it had this really interesting line where she says, in it, it had something to do with uh, when you were at Wayne State, you had like a hundred conversions, hundred students came to know the Lord, and I, what I I, I want to break that open because I and I want to tie it to this preaching because I I would be willing to bet that part of why you saw that fruitfulness was not just because you received a charism evangelization, uh, but you were preaching in such a way that we're calling the students two decision points. Was that something consciously you were aware of when you were on the yes. campus or like speak into that a little bit, if you would. Yeah. So for sure, the, it comes right back. Uh, it goes right back to our founder, father Bob Bedard. So he was, he talked about this three step dynamic to evangelization. He, the three steps for first, uh, we, we proclaim the good news, uh, and, and here's the little nuance. We proclaim the good news in such a way that it evokes a response. Hmm. So that's essential. The second is that the hearer, we, we hope and pray, will make a wholehearted response. And the third step is that the Holy Spirit goes to work in bringing about a transformation within the soul of that person. And so a great analogy would be the Annunciation. So you think of this... this uh, moment where Gabriel comes to proclaim a message of good news. God has chosen you, Mary, to be the one to bear his only beloved son. And so that's the proclamation, but it's done in such a way that it evokes a response. It's not like Gabriel would have gone there and Mary would have been like, oh yeah, you know what? That was a great homily. And then like walked away, like left, like, thanks. Well, see you next, next week (laughs) or whatever. It's like, Gabriel's like, I'm not going back to heaven until you give me an answer. (laughs) Like one way or the other, 
I'm waiting. I I need a response. And and of course, Mary gives her fiat, her total yes. Uh, let it be done to me according to to your word. And what happens? The Holy Spirit overshadows her, and and Jesus is conceived in her womb as a result. So so that three step dynamic. And so I think uh, as companions, because of this model from Father Bob, there's something within us that's saying, yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not good enough. Like the greatest, the highest insult you could pay me would be, you know, on a Sunday after preaching, you you just say, "Hey, that was a nice homily, Father." It's like I don't care. Like I don't. That's that's not why I preach. Like what exactly? What are you gonna do about it? Like how? Like uh, Father Mark Goring, he says, he says, I want people to be wrecked. Like I want. I want their lives to be wrecked after after I preach that they can't go away the same. They're like, I have to make a change. I have to do something. A simple way to to kind of get into this way of thinking, and, and this helps me because I'm super concrete. Like I, I I start with the concrete is is to ask yourself three questions when you're preaching. Is what do I want? you to know like what's the Mm. one thing and like one thing not three things not 10 things like what's the one thing that by the end of this message if there's only one thing they can remember what is that one thing i want you to know yeah the second is what's the one thing i want you to do and so again that's the call to action that's the that's the the thing i'm 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 expecting if you hear this word if it moves you how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? And thirdly, why does it matter? And that really gets at the heart of things. If, 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 if it doesn't matter to you, the communicator, and it doesn't seem to matter to the lives of the listener, they're probably not going to hear it. And they're not going to do it. But what's the one thing I want you to know? What's the one thing I want you to do? Why does it matter? And if you as a communicator can get super clear about those questions and the answers to those questions, uh, your preaching will be better. And and I have to say, honestly, I hate those questions. I I I first heard them from Father James Mallon, the, the pastor of St. Benedict, the founder of Divine Renovation, the, the author of Divine Renovation. And uh, I, I arrived in Halifax to be his associate for two years, which was an absolute, uh, absolute gift. But he would ask me that question, like, so what's the one thing that you're trying to communicate this weekend? And I'd give him like a paragraph answer He's like, no, no, Simon, like what's like one thing, like put it in, in a short sentence and, and the work of clarifying and focusing and, and bringing it to, to, to only one thing. That's like, that's like more than half of the work of homily preparation to be great. I think is, is to be able to, you know, let your darlings die. All those things that end up (laughs) on the cutting room floor. Yeah, uh, I literally have when I'm writing a homily, I literally have a section at the end that's like homily outtakes, and I just cut and paste all the stuff that goes in under there. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, not this week. This not is like this, this is gold. I don't want to lose it, but it's right. No, it's it's not it's not necessary for what you know God's God needs His people to hear this weekend. Well, and if for those listeners again who are not ordained, th- what you're what you're describing here, both the three elements of evangelization and the three questions absolutely apply to us as lay people to be able mm-hmm. to, when you're walking with somebody and trying to share the gospel with, with somebody to know, like, what's the one thing you want them to know? Or in maybe another way to put it, what's the one thing God wants them to know 
in this moment? Absolutely, yeah. What's the one thing God wants them to do in response to that new knowledge? And then framing it, why does it matter? You know, we, we do a lot of work with younger people and and you were on in campus. The why question, why does this matter, is the one that is maybe most pivotal for uh, a young person to pay attention to the gospel or give the gospel a chance. And it's the one question, the why question is the one that the church often takes most for granted. We just assume people understand the why and we yeah. go immediately to what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. And most of my generation and younger, we're like, yeah, okay, all that, it just feels like an arbitrary list of rules, like don't run on the grass. Well, why not? Because I said so, you know, as opposed to there's the the why of salvation, the why of relationship. When you were relating to college students and seeing real success for this, what were some of the ways, like, I'd love for you to share with the listeners some of the 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 whys that you would emphasize. Like when you were talking to a college student and you're trying to help them pay attention to Jesus or give Jesus a chance. What were the types of things that you found? What are the types of things you would say that would really resonate with them? Because again, I think a lot of us listening have people in our life who are in that age group or around that age group who are are dying to know what they should be saying or what they should be bearing witness to and struggling to, to know where to look for answers to that. You had success with this. And I'm not saying what's the secret sauce, but what were the, what did you find over and over again really seemed to work when, when, evangelizing uh those college students right so in all honesty it wasn't primarily through question and answer uh that we saw success uh but so so i'll come back i'll come back to to that if if i were to say like what's the what's the core why and i think you're bang on pete because people today like they're not necessarily asking the question, is it true? Right, which, which is kind of like a philosophical question that maybe in a time of Christendom in an age gone by, people might've been asking, well, is it true? But today they're asking, yeah, does it matter? Does it work? What hmm. difference will it make for my life? Um, how, yeah, how does this apply to me? And and I think we can jump to the conclusion and say like, well, that's just like a, there's a myopia or selfishness with, within the heart of that, that person that we need to fix. And it's like, well, okay, sure, maybe, but, or we can try to meet them where they are and, and get in that, like, like what a lot of times. So, and this comes back to preaching and I don't want to make this all about preaching, but it's, it's, it's helpful, I think is. I never used to do this before, but I've been forced, especially since being at St. Benedict, to build tension in the message. So mm. in the earlier part of a message, to build tension. So in other words, this very question, let's get at the heart of somebody who's there listening. Um, what What is their own human experience uh, that that will pierce them? And so... A simple example. So I'll go back to that homily I gave on the spiritual battle. I was like, hey, isn't it true that we find ourselves in the midst of battles? Like, like if, you know, in your family, you're all locked in the same house during COVID, you're working from home, your kids, maybe it's a snow day, your kids are home, whatever. And so you're all in this, for sure, there's infighting and all this kind of stuff. Or, or, uh, or with colleagues at work, there's, there's conflict. Uh, and, and somebody says something and right away it's like, man, I react so quickly or, or within marriages, 
like you know what it's like to uh somebody makes a comment and then right away uh it's not it's not about the thing that's been said it's 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 yeah. there's the issue is not the issue and and pretty soon something that is the the past is unearthed and you're being reminded of, of all these previous fights you had and, <laughs> and you know and it's and it's I mean hypothetically right I'm sure yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. relate no but, no I have no idea you, what you're talking you imagine, about but it sounds horrible imagine, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and so it's so uh like you start to build that tension uh to draw the listener in and say hey. I can resonate with that problem. Like I have conflicts in my life that are unresolved or that are uncomfortable and I don't know what to do with them. If you can draw out that problem, then if the listener is on the edge of their seat saying, yes, I relate to that. That sucks. Like, And then you can say, well, here's the solution. Uh, Jesus is the one who, hmm. who conquers all conflicts. He is the... He is the one who brings peace. He is the, you know, whatever, right? So right. similarly, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, what is, what's a problem today? Uh, one is people lack purpose. Uh, people lack meaning. Uh, they're not sure what they're supposed to do. They, they experience suffering in their life that, that doesn't, it seems unfair um, many young people today, uh, they have so many opportunities and, and they're almost like paralyzed by the choices before them. Mm-hmm. Um, there, many have not experienced like, you know, now COVID aside, but, uh, things like world wars and things like that. And so they're generally living in comfort they have what they need they're they're able to go to school or be educated and all that kind of stuff and it's like and yet why do i still feel this void inside why do i feel this emptiness every on the outside everything looks like it should be great mm-hmm. but on the inside i'm still feeling this something's off what's missing and so so trying to tap into some of those things could be a way to get to the why does it matter question uh, when it comes to to evangelizing, but you said something. What, I mean, yeah, no, okay, no. Okay, let's stay on this thread because you just, you said something at the beginning of this answer that really perked my ear, which was we didn't necessarily find success through question and answer, but then you talked about helping people discover a certain tension or a, a problem or whatever, drilling into that. So, how to uh, justify those two things? How do you help somebody? kind of build tension in the message, feel a certain sure. need for more, but also you said it wasn't necessarily through question and answer. What what did that look yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. What did well what did we do? Uh again, most of it was just a question of kind of dumb luck and a lot of the Holy Spirit. So I can't take any of the credit really. It's basically but the history of the church, right? Dumb luck yeah, and right. <laughs> mostly the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So I, I, I got into campus in the fall of 20, 2011, was it? And, uh, and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I'd never done campus ministry before. And I was, and I think one of the things that happened was within weeks of my starting, Father Bob Bedard actually passed away. And so I was back and forth to Ottawa, uh, about an eight hour drive a couple of times towards the end. And, 
And I think one thing is I turned to him really for intercession. So that's one thing. And I really believe he was praying for the ministry. And the next thing was that Sacred Heart uh, Major Seminary was hosting a Life in the Spirit seminar that like first weekend in November, that first fall I was there. And I was like, maybe I could coerce like three or four students to go to this thing and maybe something good will happen. And it ended up being like 23 students or something like that. And, and most of them had a really powerful experience of, of the Holy spirit. And so that the Holy spirit, as we know, is the agent of evangelization. And that really released something. Now, simultaneously, I'd started this event. I think the short answer to the question is to create environments uh, that are really attractive, that, that, um, lay the groundwork for evangelization. That's the short answer to, sure. to this question. And so uh, we did this thing called the Upper Room. It was every Thursday night. And uh, we happened to be at the top floor of the Student Center, the seventh floor. And, uh, and I think Acts 2, verse 42, where they, they talk about those four things, fellowship, the teaching of the apostles, uh, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And so for us, uh, we would start with something fun, uh, some fellowship, some snacks, and then and then there'd be a, a talk and or a testimony. And and then we'd transition into the chapel and and we'd have we wouldn't have mass, but we'd have Eucharistic adoration. And so that was kind of the breaking of the bread. And <laughs> and we'd enter into a time of worship. And I you know, I for the beginning anyways, I brought my my own guitar and it's just I'm just a hack, but I was like <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah. teach these students how to worship and really free them up uh in the spirit. And many of many of them they had never done that before, like contemporary worship and really to freely enter into praise, you know, with their whole bodies to to worship God. And so that was kind of a fun and exciting thing to do. And and what ended up happening is that students started coming to that and coming back and inviting their friends. And there was this kind of energy, this excitement, an expectation that, okay, something like really cool is happening on Thursday nights at the upper room. So that's the environment, right? I'm talking about. And, and sometimes people were just having experiences during adoration, during praise. Um, a lot of times what would happen is there was the, what I call the post upper room. So we'd officially, we'd repose the blessed yeah, sacrament yeah. and people would hang out. Some people would leave and there'd be like, there'd be like somebody there who was either newish or, you know, was, was a bit on the fringe and I'd go up to them and maybe with a few other students. And, and I didn't even think about this, but I was sort of like apprenticing these, these students with mm. me in the art of, of evangelization. And it, just talk to them and, and say, Hey, can I share, you know, a bit of my story with you? And just like a really short version of my testimony or a really short charisma of, you know, what Jesus has done for them. And then, and then we just say, Hey, would it be okay if we prayed with you? Mm. And most people, like if you approach with, if there's some relationship and if you approach with a a genuine loving uh, disposition, they'll say yes. You know, that's been my experience. And so, and so we just ask permission to lay hands on their shoulder and, and pray. And, and we just, just, pray God's love would come over them and and fill them and and you know most of the time they'd have a powerful experience of God an encounter hmm. and and it it got to the point that that kind of a thing 
right? So, I mean, those those basic elements, uh, you know, whatever, uh, some some very simple proclamation, and then and and witness, and and then asking to actually pray that the Holy Spirit would do the work of changing their heart, and and so there it's giving them a concrete way to respond right then and there to say, yeah, okay, I sure I've never done this before, but let's give it a shot, and so from there. As, as we're praying, uh, God God did the work. God, the Holy Spirit, overshadowed the person, right? And uh, and then in time, I would get, you know, one of the other students, like, you share your testimony, and uh, and then we'll pray. And, hmm. and then somebody else shares and, and get one of the students to lead the time of prayer or whatever. And so it's just sort of building that culture uh, with them. And, and it got to the point where, I, I'm sure those numbers are exaggerated, whatever they said, but but it got to the point where I was expecting one person's life to be transformed on average every single week. Hmm. That that the upper room would come by and I'd get excited because like somebody's gonna get smoked this week. I don't know who it is, but <laughs> yeah. it's gonna happen. And it it was just like a regularity, and we had created this environment that started to become self-perpetuating. And uh yeah, it was an exciting time. It's great, great learning for me. Uh, in terms of like, just the practical nature of evangelization, and I, I'm so glad you ended with that. The the practical nature of evangelization. I think too often we, um, we almost hold up evangelization on some sort of pedestal that it's for this elite class of highly educated, highly trained people, or in very particular moments. I mean, yes, you created an environment, upper room, and all that, but even the fact that people getting smoked certainly happened in the context of adoration, but it was often the in, in between space, you know, it was like this, the, the formal thing may have ended that softened the heart, but then it was time for the informal. Can we just talk to you, share what God has done in us? Yeah. And do you want to respond? I, I just think how different would the church look if, if the everyday Catholic just went through their life expecting that, I am his hands and feet. I am his mouthpiece. And when the Holy Spirit moves my heart to share the the gospel, that something will actually happen. I think one of the reasons that we don't evangelize is we don't believe it'll work. And we don't believe it'll work is because we've never seen it work. You know, and and even just being able to have those testimonies, like this worked in this person. You remember this guy, Joey? He was kind of a jerk when he first started coming. And now look how different he is because of what the Holy Spirit does. (laughs) When When you've been leading the parish, have you brought those same principles into St. Benedict's as well? Is that because campus ministry can often then get categorized? Well, that's just students. They're in a unique time of life. That's, that's how they're, they're primed for transformation because they're 18 years old. Have you found that those same principles that everyday evangelization has, has translated to the, the parish reality as well? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I, I actually agree with those statements at one level that, there's something really special about university, that window of time and 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 all that kind of stuff. Um, but one thing that when I got to so I got to St. Benedict, I think in July of 2015, and right away I was noticing uh, like there's something about this place that's a bit different. And Father James Mallon had had basically moved the entire parish with the help of his team to to fo- try to focus everything on mission, to align everything in terms of uh, we're a parish that uh, 
the, their purpose statement was to form disciples who joyfully live out the mission of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just like something on the wall. It was like, no, no, we're going to, we're going to budget according to this. We're going to, uh, Father James, his time is going to be focused on this, his energy. This is what we're going to staff. This is, um, this is how we're going to, you know, we're, we're not going to waste our time on other stuff. I, I mean, no disrespect, but this is, we're going to make evangelization front and center. We're not going to apologize for that at all. And so, um, the main vehicle for for that at St. Benedict was is to this day is Alpha. And and that's seems to work well in this context, right? And and I would make the case too that there's some things that work really well in a university context that don't translate perfectly into a parish context. And, yeah, and totally. part of it is is that whole reality of okay, creating that space that's like where you, you might be familiar with CCO, Catholic Christian Outreach. Again, I admire their work. They're so good at creating spaces where it's like, it's kind of cool to be a Catholic on campus. And so there's this attraction. And from that, there's relationships are built. And there's there's an opportunity, pr- primarily through faith studies, to, uh, to proclaim the basic gospel message and give people a way to respond. So that's... That's awesome. So how do you do that in a parish? Because suddenly I went from Wayne State is like 20 people, 40 people, you know, we might have had as many as 130 people in in faith studies at one point, right? But I get to St. Benedict, it's like every single weekend, there's 1500 people coming through the door, every single age, uh, all kinds of different demographics. And it's just like, whoa, how do you do this? And now, and you have to worry about a building and staff and it's complex it's very complex and it would be so easy to 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 get sucked into just the basic uh running of the parish what father james the tagline of divine renovation is you know from maintenance to mission right this idea of maintenance it's necessary it's important uh, right. but if all we're doing is maintaining uh we're never actually gonna <laughs> going to make disciples. And so Alpha, I've found, has worked really well in our context. Um, we're, again, trying to bring people into an environment where it's like super hospitable, welcoming. We would deck out the auditorium with, you know, nice tablecloths and lighting and and just radical hospitality as we invite people in. And and then, yeah, either live talks or videos and then and then get into these small groups and, and just just kind of listen to people and love them where they are and hear, hear where they're hurting. And, and, and in time, um, ask permission to, to pray over them. Basically it's, Mm -hmm. it's all kind of like a, a buildup towards again, a, a Holy spirit experience where the, the spirit is the, is the primary agent of evangelization. So, and I found, you know, I'm actually in an alpha right now over Zoom. Oh yeah. And and it's and it's pretty sweet. Like I wasn't I was in alpha a year ago and then as things started to shut down, we transitioned online and as I finished off the last couple of weeks and then over the last year it's just been so crazy with with just <laughs> constantly yeah. adjusting and and everything through COVID, but um but they 
they they wouldn't let my staff wouldn't let me be on team in in September, which which was the right call, but they <laughs> let me they let me join an alpha group uh, this winter, and so since late late January we've started and and it's just been beautiful. Like I hmm. I invited a uh, a friend of mine from Ottawa, actually an old my old physiotherapist, and I was just this person came to mind hmm. out of the blue as I was praying, like Lord, just put on my heart somebody to invite. And, uh, and this person came to mind. And so I called them up and we reconnected after a long time. And it was just like perfect timing with what they were going through. And, and I was kind of shocked. They're like, yeah, I'll join. Like, this is, this is great. So, <laughs> so every Wednesday night I'm hanging out with this person and there's about 10 of us in our, in our small group over zoom who we, we live, you know, Ottawa to Halifax, like a thousand miles apart, but now wow. we're hanging out. And we're journeying through this process of evangelization and and it's just amazing to see how relationships are being built entirely online uh, and and even the opportunities to to do prayer ministry together over each other. yeah, sure it's rich like there's there's tears there's it's yeah it's it's remarkable like I, in some ways people are they're getting very vulnerable. Uh, in front of a screen, uh, but maybe it's they're in the safety of their home, they're, they're whatever. And, sure. And so it's creating the space for people to be real. Well, and it, and I think going back to what you said with Father uh, Bedard's kind of the three step dynamic evangelization, Alpha embodies that, right? We you proclaim the good news, you give somebody a chance to give a wholehearted response, and then create plenty of space for the Holy Spirit to go to work. I mean, I think. If any those listening to this podcast, that is, that's that might be the nugget of this time together is that 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 three step idea. We got to proclaim. We have to give people a chance to give a full hearted response, and then recognize that both in our proclamation and in the response and the follow up, it's all the Holy Spirit infusing that whole process to make uh, to to make a new creation, right? To to bring life to to dry bones, absolutely, and to um, well. A lot of a lot of different directions. I'd still like to go, but how about this? Um, so you're working at the Divine Renovation Parish, okay, with Father James Mallon. He writes a book. It <laughs> kind of blows up. He becomes a big star. We all love Father James. He's the man. And you're you're the the associate with him, watching this happen and being part of it. And then you get an opportunity here to write a book, The Divine Renovation Apprentice. I, I, I'm just curious what what went into that whole right, process. Yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by anyone who writes a book. You're a winner in my mind. That's just impressive, whether or not it's good or not. But the fact that, like, what what kind of inspired <laughs> you to write it? Like, what I take it you haven't read it. So that's, no, that's I haven't okay. read it. I, full disclosure, I haven't read it, and and I want to now uh, because I, I I'm aware of it, and I and I love divine renovation, and um, but I'm curious what what inspired you to write it, and kind of what were you hoping to accomplish with it. Yeah, so I mean, well, just to give context, so Father James wrote this book, Divine Renovation, which maybe it was published in 2014, I want to say, and it is it's stellar. It's like this rich um, reflection, really from I would say Father James, he's a genius, like he's a theologian in one sense, but he's also living it on the ground, like he's a pastor. He's he's done it. He's actually move to perish from maintenance to mission and so yeah it's a book it's been translated into i don't know how many languages and it's going to be here for years and years to come my book divine renovation apprentice 
is more like a bathroom reader. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, you keep it when you, when you got nothing better to do, you know, you can, they're short chapters. So, so it's just really fitting. And if anyways, and if you run out of toilet paper, no, no, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna, that, that might be the title of this po- podcast, like bathroom reader, you know, like that, that, that's, that's a great little nugget right there, brother. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I got to St. Benedict, I realized I didn't know too much about what was going on, but I knew it was a big deal. I knew that it was an absolute privilege to get to work with the Father James Mallon. His book had already been published. And and so I, just with a desire to share, actually, and in conversation with Father James and, and Bishop Scott before he was a bishop, he was the one who sent me out here. So I'm so grateful to him. And he, he and Father James were buddies in seminary, actually. That's, that's part of the connection. Oh, wow. They studied together in Toronto. But um, the suggestion was made to to start just capturing a, a weekly reflection on something I was learning, hmm. and and so uh, so I started to do that. I, I would just write like a a short kind of the length of a blog post, and I would just email it out to my brother companions, and and I don't know if any of them ever read them, but <laughs> I was you know it was just for me it was there was a sense of accountability that once a week I was going to sit down take a couple hours write uh, just a short reflection on on something that I was I was learning and I think I might have even ended every reflection with here's the one thing I want you to know here's the one thing I want you hmm. to do and so um, if if I didn't do it then I, I did it later in the process but but basically by the end of a year I had 50 odd reflections and wow. so that was that was basically a book that was at least the length, it, it went through a whole lot of uh, revising and editing and professionals sure. who, who know how to do this stuff. Cause yeah, I've, I never even learned grammar. Like <laughs> I ain't speak good English. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm still struggling with, with, yeah, that language. So, but what is a, a remarkable experience to, to do. And, and I think for me, the biggest piece of it was, um, so divine renovation apprentice. So it's the idea of apprenticing that I really believe, uh, for the future of the church, we're going to mm-hmm. have to have, we're going to have to have more of a, a hands-on, you know, dare I say like a blue collar apprenticing model for raising up priests and lay leaders in the church who know how to do this, who know how to evangelize and who know how to lead. Uh, within a parish context, particularly, but beyond, uh, I think w- in many ways our seminary formation is geared towards creating these like theologian monks. Uh, it's it's wonderful academics, but it lacks that hands-on practicality. And I think there's a disconnect between what what a guy learns in seminary and then what he faces in reality mm. on the ground in a parish. And so that that whole apprenticing thing, I'm pretty passionate about that. And it's 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 such a gift to have Father Alex with me now, and and I've had a couple of companion seminarians do internships here, and so I'm able to try and pass on what I'm learning. And, and again, it's not just me, but they're coming into an environment that's ripe for learning. Yeah. And so they're learning from all kinds of other people. I work out of a, a senior leadership team, so there's uh, you know. Uh, four others who 
who compliment my guest father Alex and then three other lay people who are just remarkable who have a, a mm. variety of gifts and we've we've been learning to to work together really well and and I just I would never lead alone you know yeah without the gift of a team and and I think the the other so the subtitle of my book is um, learning to lead a disciple making parish hmm. so learning to lead a disciple making parish so and that's that's all like pretty intentional so learning like i hope i i hope you know it's, it's kind of weird to think but i i did a lot of book signing there early on and and i would often just write you know be a lifelong learner hmm. that's if if you take nothing away from this book, like be a lifelong learner. I hope that's my hope that I just never stop learning. And, and then leadership, learning to lead. I think leadership is just, it's one of the things that when I came here again, so, so much richness from the companions of the cross, our yeah. charism focused on evangelization. We, we live this intentional brotherhood together, supporting each other. And, and, you know, our spiritual pillars, the Eucharist and Mary and, being faithful to the magisterium and and this openness to the Holy Spirit, like like all of that stuff, uh, was like this perfect fit. And then the one piece that we didn't have that th- th- I really believe divine renovation offers uh, so beautifully is this emphasis emphasis on leadership. Hmm. And it's again, I just didn't know anything about leadership. Whatever leadership I had done prior to this was pure instinct. And so learning, that, no, no, there's like some wonderful best practices and approaches to things, even like how to, how to enter into a meeting, how to, yeah. how do you, how do you cast vision, how to work with a team, um, how to, how to hold people accountable, how to, how to have crucial conversations, some of those soft skills. Uh, like I didn't learn any of that in seminary at all. And so like learning to lead and, Leadership is so essential. John Maxwell says everything rises and falls on leadership. And so right. if we want to be, and and again, the end of that, a disciple making parish, if we want to be a parish that's that's yeah, we can we can if you're if you're in parish work, you can you can look with envy on campus ministry and say, Oh yeah, they're so lucky because they're working with young adults and they're at the prime of life and they're they're making all these big decisions and so they're just so ripe to be evangelized. Or you can say, Yeah, praise God for that. But we're in a parish, and we're going to be great as a parish, and our whole parish is going to be focused on making disciples. So how the heck are we going to do that? The only way you're going to be effective at doing that is by growing in leadership to complement then um, your your desire to evangelize. Boom! I love that. That's that. It's so interesting. That's exactly where we've been in ID, been feeling more and more called. We're calling it our uh, our archery analogy basically what for most of our existence what we were very good at was painting a target and Mm. of intentional discipleship and then giving our chapters the arrows to hit the target so disciples nights and retreats and different things and then we'd say now hit the target you know and sometimes praise god they did but often the arrows went everywhere and every time the arrows went somewhere other than the target we analyzed the arrows and tried to oh if we just had a little better speaker here or just a little you know whatever and finally it, it got dawned on us about 18 months ago two years ago it's not so much about the the arrows, it's about the archer. Because a good archer can take even a, mm. a faulty arrow and still hit the target. Alpha is an incredible arrow. But you know, and I know that yeah. alpha alone doesn't isn't the solution. It's when people yeah. who are well formed, who know who they are in Christ, who 
what we call them spirit-filled leaders. When you have a spirit-filled leader, they can take the content and the programmatic element and make it fruitful. And so this emphasis on leadership within the church, I think, um, I mean, I've kind of come to the conclusion, Father, and you can, you know, push back if you disagree here, but outside the sacraments, which are, you know, efficacious in and of themselves, basically everything we do as a church is boils down to spirit-filled leadership. All, all the pastoral discipleship focused, everything we do. And even like the number one thing that Jesus left behind were men and women who had been transformed in his DNA, who then through Pentecost were able to go change the world. He left behind leaders, you know, who had become him, especially through Pentecost. And so that emphasis on, on leadership in, in your book to help people do that is just filling, in my opinion, a tremendous need. I, I absolutely will not push back on that point because I, I agree with you. Spirit-filled leaders, I love it. That's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus did. He, what did he do? Uh, he didn't even leave us the Bible, right? Like, I mean, yeah. He did, but he didn't, right. he didn't sit down and pen uh, you know, the New Testament for us. He invested in three people, in, in one person, and in a particular way, in Peter and James and John as well in a very significant way. And then in these 12 uh, and, and in the 72 in, a, in another way. And then there was the crowd and he definitely ministered to them, but, but he invested in these people and raised them up so that they could then multiply and share it with, with others. And, and that's why, yeah, like I say, this whole idea of apprenticing people mm-hmm. in the art of leadership, that's, and I love, I love that, that, uh, nuance that spirit-filled leadership, apprenticing people in the art of spirit-filled leadership is is going to be so necessary for the future of the church because sadly we've seen the effects of poor leadership. Like we don't need any more examples <laughs> of what happens when there's poor leadership. Yeah, gosh. right. And right. and and I remember somebody saying it this way: like the people in the pews. Like they may not be able to articulate it necessarily this way or say, yeah, we need leadership or whatever, but they they feel it. They know when they're being led well and they know when they're being led poorly. And we just, we can't afford to not lead well uh, in this day and age. You yeah. have to become great at this. And, and, and just to circle back uh, all the way to the beginning, a key element of leadership is communication. Yeah. And you know, we talked a lot about preaching and if you can't, if you can't speak, you can't lead hmm. really. And so to become great and, and again, to broaden the scope, to include all lay people, like I, I put out the challenge to each and every person to become better as a communicator, because if we can't communicate, we'll never, be able to move people and 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 pete like i've heard you do this so beautifully you've spoken at conferences and at events and it's like you you have a gift for communication and it's like i want to i want to get behind you i'm like yeah let's go for it like (laughs) like this guy this guy there's a there's a gravitas to what you're saying and and you can you can feel the effect of that gift of leadership at work and so uh the good news is that there's things that can be trained and there's a way in which we can equip people that even if today they might feel like, Oh, I'm not a leader. I don't know how to do that. It's like, if there's an openness and a genuine desire, like, like 
we can work with that. And yeah, God can raise up leaders for his church. Amen. And he longs to. All right. Final question. Uh, cause otherwise I, I gotta let you get back to the, the hard work of, of parish life here. But, um, and I, I like asking everybody who's a, a guest on the hour, I ask some version of this question because it just, uh, the d- answers are always so diverse, but also so beautiful, basically like combination of father, what's, what's giving you hope and what do you feel like the spirit's saying to the church right now? So I came up with this mnemonic recently to just help myself. I don't know if that's even the right word. I don't even know what that means, but I think (laughs) the term passion fruit. So Mm. uh, passion fruit, like one of the things that, that fills me with passion is when I see fruit. And I've been ridiculously spoiled throughout my priesthood, throughout my life to see fruitfulness in parishes on campus um, and, and every time I see, uh, the lights go on for people, they start to awaken in their faith. They, they, they start to know Jesus and they're starting to grow in this hunger for more. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something new that wasn't there before, uh, that fills me with passion. And, and I literally last night at Alpha over Zoom was watching this happen where, where guests were praying over other guests for healing. It's like, how does that even happen? Like we just met, we just met eight weeks ago or something. And, and this kind of thing is happening. That fills me with passion every time I see that fruit. Uh, And I just can't get enough. I never get, get tired of, of hearing stories of life transformation. And, Mm. and uh, that's probably, that's probably, the thing that gives me the most hope. I mean, I, I'm so blessed to work with some amazing people, live with amazing priests, my brother companions, and they inspire me just every day, getting up, hitting the chapel floor, praying, and uh, all of that. My staff team is incredible. My leadership team, all of it gives me gives me hope as well. But I think I think uh, the fruitfulness is is such a gift, and yeah. I see it happening. It's not just like theory. Like I, and I I pray that others get to see it because up until up until we see life transformation and, and you get to be a part of it, it's like the word evangelization, it's just a word in a church document and it needs to need needs to be enfleshed. Amen. Amen. And and I think uh yeah, what's what's the spirit saying to the church today? Uh I think there's far more profound people who can answer this question. For me personally, I think it's it's as I'm as I'm trying to be faithful and lead this parish, I think there's a call for a deeper maturation as missionary disciples that I guess my hope is that our parish, we've, we've begun this journey and, and we're, we're, we've got this focus on mission where we're focusing on drawing people into Jesus and we're seeing lives start to get transformed. And I think it's going to be a deepening uh, uh, leading people through those those three conversions, right? A conversion to Christ, a conversion to Christ's church, and a conversion to Christ's cause, to the mission. And so mm. uh, that that maturing, that, uh, you know, people coming alive in their faith, uh, starting a, a daily prayer time and, and getting into scripture and all that kind of stuff that, you know, wrestling with church teaching and 
and and surrendering themselves fully to the Holy Spirit, all of that stuff. I mean, I summarized it in, the, in that phrase from Pope Francis, missionary disciples. But I think as our as our parish has become filled with missionary disciples, uh, that's going to be the hope for the future. Amen, brother. Thank you. Why don't Why don't we uh, feel like we just need to close the prayer? Could you lead us in a prayer, please? Amen. So, Father, we turn to you. We rejoice in you. I just sense the Father smiling over his children and and even over over you and me, Pete, that the Father mm-hmm. is smiling over us right now. He delights uh, in this conversation and and in these uh, simple, <laughs> meager efforts. But he's smiling over every single person who's listening to this. Father, you know the heart of each and every listener. You You love them with such a profound love. You're proud of them. You see their efforts. You know their struggles. And you love them. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who who is right here with us in our midst, and for the spirit that is being poured out. I pray that that spirit, that anointing would fall, that every listener would be filled with a, a fresh outpouring of the gifts, the gifts of preaching, uh, the gifts of evangelization, the gifts of leadership, all the gifts that are necessary uh, for being a follower of Jesus in these times and for building the kingdom in these times. Thank you, Father. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Leave us with a profound sense of hope that you are with us, you are near, and you have great plans for the future of the church. And we make this prayer in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. Hello, Bill. Thanks for doing this. This is fun. I appreciate it. That was yeah. that was some good stuff, man. I, I really uh, I'm, I'm eager for everyone to hear it. We'll we'll maybe have to have you back on at some point. All right. Thanks, bro. Yeah, that was that was fun. It was I felt like it was all over the farm, but that's, that's the point of a podcast, right? We're, I wanted to cover all <laughs> sorts of different topics. This is not a homily. This was not a... Dun, 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 this, is dun, not dun, a this is not it's a not homily. like, yeah, what's the one thing I want people to know? I have no idea. They'll, <laughs> yeah. they'll find it. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and that's where the show notes, I'll break it down and say, there's click to this point. If you want to hear this topic, you can do all that. So they'll oh, cool. they'll get they'll get a bit of an outline for it. But um, yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Awesome. All right. Like I said at the beginning, this is me giving a little teaching on my favorite definition of leadership from the Spiritfield Leader Intensive Course. If you'd like more information about the intensive course, go to spiritfieldleadership.com. Okay, here we go. One of my favorite definitions of leadership. Okay, one of my favorite definitions of leadership. It's it's this, and I'm going to draw it for you, but 
definition of leadership is helping people get from here to there. Okay. So leadership is about helping people get from here to there. Here to there. And what leadership is, is helping people identify here, where are we? And helping people recognize that where we are, we cannot stay here. Part of the role of leadership is to, through conversation, through vision casting, through example, is to stir up within the, the people that you're leading this feeling like we, we can't stay here. There's somewhere else that we need to go. And then the goal of a leader is to stir up that restlessness in the community that we cannot stay here so that they're literally dying to know. They're saying, okay, you're right. We cannot stay here, but where are we supposed to go? And then, then the leader says, well, we're supposed to go there. And then the leader says, and I'm going to show us, I'm going to help us see how we can get from here to there. And I'm going to walk with us along the path from here to there. Okay. And another way to think about this, and I'm going to keep diving into this, but a leader needs to see themselves as a champion, a coach, and a companion. I'm going to say that again. A leader can see themselves. And in and, and one little side note, a leader could also be part of a team of leaders that serves as the champions, coaches, and companions. It doesn't mean that everything that's necessary to be a champion coach and companion is all within you alone, right? So whenever I, whenever I say leadership, still think communal discipleship, that we still have a role to play in this. But in particular, when, especially if you are in charge of a group of people, if you've been given a certain mantle of authority to lead people, to see yourself in your role saying, I need to help people get from here to there. I need to help us identify here and why we cannot stay here. And I need everyone to see where we can go and why that is the solution to the restlessness of where we are. And then as the champion coach and companion, I'm going to help us get from here to there. So what's a champion? Primarily a spirit-filled leader where, where you become a champion is before God for the group. You champion your people before God. It's another way of saying intercessory prayer. You're going to stand in the gap it's, an, it's such a vitally important role as a leader to be out in front of your people saying, interceding on their behalf. And, and so much of this concept comes from the, the leadership of Moses, okay? You see Moses always interceding for the people, always trying to stay the Lord's anger, always trying to be before the Lord advocating for the people. And if you think about Moses from here to there, right? Can't stay in Egypt. There's a promised land that we need to go to. Can't stay in the desert. There's a promised land that we need to go to. Okay. Here to there. And what does he model for Joshua? Can't stay here. Got to go across that, that river. We got to go to this place and this place and this place. So the first is, is a champion. The second is a coach, which is that's, that's a bit of more of the directive role of saying, this is, this is the process by which I'm going to coach you into the skills and into the framework and into the knowledge necessary to actually get from here to there. Think 10 commandments. Moses comes down the mountain. This is the behavior that's necessary to help us get from here to there. Okay. He's like, I'm advocating to you before the Lord. 
But now here's how we have to act in order to respond to the call that the Lord's given us. So here to there, first as a champion, then as a coach, and then as a companion, you go with them. You go with them from here to there. You don't just set them on the journey. Moses didn't just say, okay, there's the promised land. I promise it's like, you know, 60 miles away from here, give or take. Good luck. You know, I'll see you there if you make it. No, he, he goes with the people. And sometimes he's in front of the people. Sometimes he's in the midst of the people. And I'm, gu I'm guessing there were times that he was in the back, just walking behind, making sure who's straggling, who's not, who's not with us, who's, who's wandering off the wrong, wrong direction. So if you can see yourself as, as part of my job as a leader is to help us identify and help the people I'm leading identify the here, where are we right now? And why is it unacceptable for us to stay here? Okay, if it's unacceptable for us to stay here, where should we be going? So let's put this in some modern terms. Let's talk about like a parish group that you might be leading. Okay, and you're looking at your parish group and you're saying, all right, we have not um, actively invited anyone to join our group in three years. It's been the same people doing the same things for the last three years. As a leader, you should be discerning. You could be discerning. It's not acceptable that we stay here just as this insular group. The there, the, where we need to get to, is motivated and activated in some sort of mission. That's where we need to go. But if you just went in before your group and just said, we need to do more mission, we need to go invite people, and there's no restlessness in them as to why they need to get there, they, if they're comfortable with here, they're never going to get to there, no matter how much you no matter how well you articulate it, no matter how much it makes sense, no matter how much you prod or, you know, you know, whether you're using the whip or the, the prod or the carrot or the stick, whatever, it's not going to matter unless the people start to feel it in themselves that we cannot stay here. You're right. We do need to invite more people in here. Our group is suffering because we haven't had fresh ideas. Well, the only way we're going to get fresh ideas is if we get more people in here with fresh ideas. And so it starts to craft this, this vision of, okay, you're right. We need to begin to be more mission focused. We need to start to invite people into what we're doing. Well, then how are we going to do that? Okay, then as the leader, you've, th you've thought of, this is where we are. This is where we need to get to. We need to invite more people. And let's have a discussion. And let's start to identify as a coach. Here's how we're going to get to there. I'm glad you're restless at here now. Now it's time to go to there. And one little pro tip, don't, it, the, the, the temptation is going to be as soon as you start to see restlessness in people that they want to move, they want to go to the new place, you're going to immediately want to give them the solution is how to get there and fight that temptation. Let the group wrestle with it a little bit. Let them chew on it a little bit. Let them kind of come up with their own ideas. Let them really kind of own it more and more till they're they're practically begging you for the answer. I can't tell you how many times I've been working with young adult groups or different people where um, we've we've successfully con convinced them that their current situation is is not where they need to be or not fully where they need to be, and they immediately say, "Okay, so what's the answer? What should we do?" And I love being able to be like, "Well, what do you think?" You know, and then they start to wrestle with it and they hit a roadblock. Oh shoot! Well, what about this? Repeat. What what, what do you think you should do? I don't know. That's a good question. That's, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? 
you know and finally they find at some point they it gets so like we got to do something come on help you know like finally they're just like come on just tell us what you think and then it's like okay well i think what if you did x y and z yes that's it and what 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 happens when you increase that restlessness is the solutions that you propose become that much more dynamic that much more clear and they are that much hungrier for what uh you then have to offer if you jump too quickly in, you could run the risk of them saying that, well, no, that's not, that's not what we need to do. This is what we need to do. And of course, in leadership, the, the humility to be able to receive their input and, and work with them. I'm not saying that you, as a coach, you have no, it's just some sort of authoritarian relationship. But if you can see yourselves as a leader is, I need to generate restlessness and help people understand that where we are is unacceptable for whatever reason. And this is where we need to get to. And what I'm going to, in order to get them there, I'm going to champion them before God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to sacrifice for my people. I'm going to coach them every step of the way. And then I'm going to walk with them as a companion and a friend. You know, I think we'll, we'll see some of the response to leadership that we're hoping for. And again, the more you can do this as a team, the better, but this is a general framework for leadership within, uh, Kind of a almost like a mosaic leadership model, <laughs> if you will. I just coined that term. That's pretty good, Ethel. I might I might have to write that down. A mosaic leadership model. <clears throat> Beginning of a book or something. All right, that was me teaching from the Spirit Filled Leader Intensive course. This has been the hour. I'm Pete Burak. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be coming up after Easter with a few more episodes, um, some good Easter messages, and a great conversation with a special guest. Uh, I can't wait for you to hear. She's fantastic. All right, this is the hour. I'm Pete Burak. God bless. Your love and